0: Are you clapping for the table sawing? Because I thought that was pretty impressive. It was a woman's build that we were at, and they really went out of their way, I think, as part of their mission to empower women, and I went for it. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody. Let's pray. God, with all the busyness and getting back to school and changing our routines and finishing things and starting things, I just ask that you would slow us down. Help us to be present to you. Help us to be present to your ways. We love you. Amen. Well, there was a movie that I saw. um, It's probably 20 or 30 years ago now called Yentl. Anybody here see that movie? A few hands going up. So in this movie, Rabbi Mendel is a single dad who teaches the boys in his small um, Polish town the Talmud, which is a sacred Jewish text. And while he's doing this in secret in his home, he's teaching his daughter Yentl, despite the fact that girls are expressly forbidden to study religious scripture. So when Yentl's father dies, she still has this strong feeling, this compelling inside her to continue to study Torah. So the movie is about her disguising herself as a boy and her enrolling in the yeshiva, which is a Jewish seminary. Well, this picture, you can't see it that well, but it's showing the first uh, women being admitted to a yeshiva, um, a Jewish seminary. And this would have been in 1950 and in New York. So I'm sure it was much slower after that, the trickle. But the movie itself took place 50 years before this, so at the turn of the century. And the question that I want to ask this morning is this, is what Yentl did, is what this young woman did Wrong. So technically speaking, she's breaking the laws or or the rules of her time and of her space, and it was understood, like it wasn't a secret, she couldn't feign uh, uh, ignorance, like it was known that women were not permitted to study religious uh, scriptures, Um, and that she is clearly using trickery, deception to achieve her end. So what happens when rules or laws are unfair and they only benefit certain people? Is there ever a time when breaking the law is the right thing to do, the good thing to do, the wise thing to do, the better thing to do? And the scripture that we're looking at this morning comes from the book of Genesis. So if you grew up learning Bible stories, this one will probably be familiar. Genesis 27 is the story of a man named Jacob who deceives his father, Isaac, at his mother, Rebecca's instigation, in order to receive his father's blessing, a blessing that was intended for the older brother. So let me just say that again. It's a story of Jacob, the younger brother, deceiving his father at his mother's instigation in order to receive his father's blessing, which is reserved for the older brother. So the story actually begins before Jacob is even born. Mom, Rebecca, is pregnant with twins, and she's having a rough time in her pregnancy. She goes to talk to God, and God says this to her. God says, there are two nations in your womb, and the older will serve the younger. Okay, in the ancient world, The oldest son inherits the vast majority of the dad's estate, so the honor of the father is passed down to the firstborn son. So it would have been surprising or even shocking for Rebecca to hear God say that the older will serve the younger. Our story now picks up many years later in Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. The Hebrew for that is hineni, here I am. And what it means is, I am fully present to you, Dad. Like, what is it? I'm, I'm completely here with you. Isaac said, I am now an old man. I don't know the day of my death Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Okay, so we have Isaac who knows that his end is near. He's ready to give his blessing, but apparently not before a good, tasty meal. The next section describes how Rebecca overhears Isaac's words and schemes for Jacob to be able to receive the blessing. And she's counting on Isaac's bad eyesight. And maybe when we read about his bad eyesight, it is a cue that it's more than eyesight. So maybe insight, like maybe uh, Isaac is being portrayed as a little bit dim-witted at this moment. So Rebecca sends Jacob out to get some game so she can cook the best meal and Jacob can uh, pretend to be Esau and steal the blessing. And as an aside, many years earlier, Jacob finagles Esau's birthright also involving a good meal. So Rebecca cooks a great meal for Jacob to give to Isaac while pretending to be Esau. She gives uh, Jacob Esau's good clothing, knowing that there will be, Esau's scent on the clothing. It's not like today where we can get some Tide and put it in a washing machine so you would have known each other by your scent. Jacob is actually skeptical. Like, he's not sure if this plan can actually work. But my brother Esau is a hairy man. Well, I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? Which seems like a good question. I would appear to be tricking him. That's because you are tricking him. And would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Okay, so not so much worried like in an integrity sense, like not um, arguing the ethics of this, but just thinking I might get caught. Rebecca, though, is certain and confident. And given that this is the ancient world, Rebecca has much more of a traditionally male role in this story, and Isaac is more passive in the story, and none of this would have been lost right, on early audiences, where these stories wouldn't have just been told around a fire, but performed around the fire. And so Rebecca schemes to produce the outcome that she believes is supposed to happen, right? Because she has this word from God that as far as we know, no one else knows that the older son is supposed to serve the younger one. And it's easy for us today to find fault with Rebecca for how she produces the desired outcome. But in her defense, in the ancient world, Women were voiceless. Like, you couldn't just say, hey, like, I'm thinking about, maybe we should look at things different. Maybe we should consider, like, women have no power. And what she believes is supposed to happen goes against foundation of patriarchy. And the event of the blessing is now. Like, she doesn't have time. The Bible doesn't put us in Rebecca's mind. So how we perceive her and her actions, whether we're sympathetic to what she's doing or derisive can be as much about us or the culture that we inhabit. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So Jacob does what she asks, and then pretending to be Esau, he goes to Isaac. In verse 18, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? So which son is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. So maybe Isaac is a foodie, like anything for a good meal, but Isaac is also suspicious. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord God gave me success, he replied. So now we're invoking God's name as we tell our lie. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son. I feel like I'm reading Little Red Riding Hood. uh, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So apparently Isaac has some concern. Jacob went close to his father who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And we're thinking, come on, Isaac, pay attention. This should clue you into something. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. "'Are you really my son Esau?' he asked. Like, I hope you are, because the food smells really good. "'I am,' he replied. Then he said, "'My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing.'" And I heard a rabbi talk about this passage and and she's talking about how these stories are being told over the fire, oral tradition until they were written down, that they would have been entertaining, like people would have been laughing at the story when I grew up in my tradition. It would have just been this very serious story with lots of implications about who these people are and the character and right and wrong and morality. And while there are points that the story is trying to make, the characters are both tragic and humorous, and that's all intentional. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. He brought some wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So here is Isaac sated with a delicious meal filled with the fruit of the vine. Isaac is happy. So he went to him and kissed him. And Isaac caught the smell of his clothes and he blessed him and he said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness. An abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you And people bow down to you. And here we get the power dynamic. And these these blessings are intended, um, would have been experiences like pronouncements, like what I'm blessing you with will happen. Um, Be Lord over your brothers, and may the son of your mother bow down to you. So offensive to us, but consistent with the ancient world, except for that we have the wrong guy, Sort of. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. And I can just feel what Esau would feel at this moment. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said, my father... Sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing." His father Isaac asked him, "'Who are you?' "'I'm your son,' he answered, "'your firstborn, Esau.' Isaac trembled violently and said, "'Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? "'I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. And Isaac gave a second, uh, kind of a second-rate blessing to his uh, firstborn son, sort of leftovers to Esau. So there's something called the trickster motif, and it's not just in the scripture. Trickster motif can be found in mythology, in lots of different kinds of writing. But there are times when God wants to make something, wants to make an event happen, that God will take matters into God's own hand. So like the splitting of the sea. So you can think of the splitting of the sea as God's messing with the laws of nature. So according to the law of nature, The sea does not split on command, but God defies these laws for God's own purposes. There are other times in Scripture where humans who don't have legitimate pathways within the law or the customs of their day to accomplish what they understand as justice or as God's will or as God's purpose and so they will enact some kind of trickery for the sake of justice. So in our story, Rebecca has heard directly from God that her oldest son will serve the youngest. So from the time she's pregnant, she is carrying this word that she heard from God. And Jewish rabbis and Christian theologians have all debated the scripture for centuries, asking whether uh, tricksters in the scripture are heroes or flawed people or both. But one thing that they all agree on is that these tricksters will have no choice in how they enact justice if they are going to enact justice. In other words, there is no pathway within the law for them to enact justice. Tricksters are always those without the power to act. So Rebecca, as a woman, has no power in the ancient world. Jacob, as a second son, will watch all the power go to his older brother. Well, Tom and I actually began this church with the trickster motif. So, the movement that we were part of at that time was still a complementarian a movement. And what that means is that women couldn't lead. Women could not be senior pastors at that time in the movement we were a part of. And when we came to our regional leader, who had the authority to say, you know, can we plant this church or not, and said, um, uh, we think God's inviting us to plant a church. We'd like to plant a church in Iowa City. Do we have your blessing to do that, the sentence that we heard was this. Listen, you guys, just put Tom's name on the dotted line, 80, we know you're going to lead the church. And let me clarify a few things. Number one, they were not being insulting to Tom. They knew that Tom was a full-time. He knew that Tom was a full-time psychiatrist in the hospital and has been. The whole time we have planted the church, he knew that Tom would be intimately involved. But we all knew that I'd been on staff at the church that I was a part of in Evanston before we came here, that I had regional and national uh, leadership roles in the movement we were a part of. He knew that, for me, all aspects of pastoral ministry were my love, my my passion. I would have used the language of calling. So was this regional leader wrong for suggesting this? Maybe. And were Tom and I wrong for taking him up on it? Maybe. Maybe. And what does this mean about our community? Were we founded on a lie? Yes. There's no other way to say that. I practiced several times. I rehearsed my options. Sort of. Well, yes. And would we do the same thing today I don't know because everything we're not the same people we were. We're not in the same situation. Culture's not in the same situation. Harriet Tubman and all who participated in the Underground Railroad were criminals, right? Harriet Tubman has been my hero since I was in grade school and first learned about her. She was a criminal. Lots of thousands of dollars were offered to catch her. Slavery was in keeping with the law, so anyone who aided um, slaves before the laws were changed were lawbreakers. So the question is, what does Jacob and Rebecca and their trickery say to us today? Well, number one, and Truthfully, I think we could talk about this in so many directions for a long, long time. I'm going to give a couple points, but it's actually a really rich story with lots of implications for us, going in lots of directions. But number one, understand that all of us in this room have a different relationship to rules. There are rule keepers, or those of us at the very least see rules a little bit suspiciously maybe you can picture a continuum with the ultimate rule keeper and the ultimate rule breaker and picture where you might fall on that some people are wired right to keep rules um, relative to Tom I am okay with rules Tom has never met a rule that he likes the rabbi that I listen to. Um, described having a hard time with Rebecca because she herself would identify as someone as a high, who's a high rule keeper. But she talked about the importance of the trickster motif in the Torah and how grateful uh, she is because it reveals to us that laws are only good for who laws, for whom laws are good for, right? Laws are only good for whom they're good for. They only protect, and we know this, laws only protect who they protect. So Mark Charles is a Navajo Christian leader um, that argues that our Constitution was created by uh, and for land-owning white men. And he would say it's important to understand who our laws benefit and who are left vulnerable or even harmed by them. And number two, Jesus' complicated relationship to the law. On the one hand, this is what Jesus says of the law in Matthew 5. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these least commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus the rule keeper hallelujah all of you who are rule keepers you can <laughs> breathe a sigh of relief at the same time Jesus also breaks the laws around sabbath the sacred command seven times in our scripture and seven is an important number When Jesus heals a lame man at the pool of Bethesda, religious leaders want to kill him, they argue that working the Sabbath makes Jesus equal to God. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this very reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his Father, making himself equal to God. So my point is this. From the beginning of our text of the Bible, the Bible argues with itself. Right? In one place, it is a sin to marry outside of the faith. And then the next book, a Moabite woman named Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David. It argues against itself, and I think brilliantly, to help us understand that laws are made at certain times and in certain contexts. But those contexts change, and it becomes apparent that for many laws, there will be winners and there will be losers. Rebecca and Jacob invite us to be discerning. We don't break laws willy-nilly, but we do study the law to understand and ask the question, who is benefiting? and who is being harmed. I'll close with this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. It is from the letter that he wrote while he was in the Birmingham jail. You deplore the demonstrations taking place in Birmingham, but your statement, I'm sorry to say, fails to express a similar concern for the conditions that brought about the demonstrations. I am sure that none of you would want to rest content with the superficial kind of social analysis that deals merely with effects and does not grapple with the underlying causes. It is unfortunate that demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham, but it is even more unfortunate that the city's white power structure left the Negro community with no alternative. May we be like Dr. King or Jesus before him discerning the laws and the traditions of our day ensuring that they work to benefit all people amen a we'll transition now to communion